Good Tuesday morning, everyone. Welcome to the VolQuest.com podcast presented by our good friends at Blue Water Climate Control. Glad to have you along with us on this Tuesday. Remember now, the uh, mini split special ends on February the 14th. So if you're into that or you're looking for that single zone mini split unit that's perfect for a small space such as a shop or a in-law suite or bonus room or uh, covered garage, whatever you got, you'll be sure and uh, take advantage of this special because it's an opportunity you're not going to have in the spring or the summer. Uh, this is a great little unit that'll make any room comfortable for you, whether it's heating it or cooling it. They got financing financing options available for qualified buyers. So give them a call today, 865-299-2290 for details, or you can go to bluewaterclimatecontrol.com to book your free estimate. Remember, the special ends on Valentine's Day, February the 14th. With Austin Price and Rob Lewis and Brent Hubbs, plenty to get to in this edition of the Blue Water Climate Control podcast. And uh, it starts first and foremost, Austin, with where's Tennessee's coaching staff? Where's Josh Heupel and assembling a coaching staff? Do we get defensive coordinator news on this Tuesday? I, th- I do think we, we know who Tennessee's hiring as their defensive coordinator today. I, I do. I think that... You know, I just think it, it, it comes out. And it probably comes out from the Ohio State side of things. Tennessee sure not going to leak it out there. So, uh, you know, that 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 would be uh, – that would make sense to me. So, you, so you're thinking that it's going to be Washington unless he, you know, barring some crazy change, decides to stay. Yeah, I, I do. I, I think Tennessee is, uh, is, is up the ante. I think financially they're going to, you know, going to get it done. Um, now – does that mean it's done, done? No. I mean, I think he could decide to stay. I mean, you have to understand Ohio State's got a lot coming back. They have to replace Justin Fields. But other than that, they've got a ton of talent back on that on that team that made the the, the playoffs this year and, uh, and, and and talent on defense. And, you know, you know, it, Tennessee right now is not, you know, the sexy job. I mean, somebody's going to take it. Some, they're going to get somebody. And I think Washington is probably still the guy. But, you know – you know, it's like, why do some of these coaches at these high end, you know, or very successful high school programs, why do they never leave? Because it's much easier just to be that assistant and, and you know, continue to win, win, win. He doesn't seem like that, though, to me, though. He's kind of been a, I won't say journeyman because that's not right, but he's he's been in different places. And, uh, you know, while he is from Ohio, he did not play at Ohio State. He played at Boston College. So, um, I think it's a little easier to walk away than from a place, you know, that's not your alma mater. Rob, do you think that it's for, for coaches that it making there, – there's some guys who make moves all the time. We, we know that. But do you think in, in this day and age that it's harder to get a coach to make a move, an assistant coach to make a move uh, in some cases because the money's so good? Or, or is it a case where just some coaches out there are just being more selective than – we very we you know we used to see coaches be i mean you feel like the coaching the the i guess the 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 revolving door of assistant coaches is, is it what it used to be 10 years ago i guess is what i'm asking i think it's program specific i mean i think when you're in a, in a good spot you know stable where you're winning big then I, I think it's not just as simple as you know climbing the the ladder like, like it used to be. And I mean, I think the money's a big part of it. I mean, certainly you, you can make more money as a coordinator, you know, than, than you can as a position coach, but still you can make, you know, six, 600, $800,000 as a position coach was a different, which is a different animal 
than it was. And I think that just with the volatility that's in this profession, I think when you're in a, in a good spot where the money's good, like Ohio State, that's stable. I mean, that, that head coach isn't going anywhere. Same thing at Clemson. I mean, they're keeping their coordinators. They're not just looking for the next big thing. They are being selective. But I don't think that's all across college football. I think that's some of the, you know, cream of the crop jobs. Yeah, I think it's a good point. I mean, there's certainly some places so I hadn't thought of it really in that way, but there it is. It does feel like it's program specific. And then you have some cases where if you're a position coach and you have aspirations of being a, a coordinator and you're, you're at one of those schools that just doesn't have high turnover, do you think you're never going to get the opportunity there? Yeah, like you know? Clemson. If you're yeah. like a defensive assistant at Clemson, <laughs> you're probably not getting that, that gig. Yeah, I mean, Brent doesn't appear to be going anywhere, you know? I mean, and so you have some cases like that as well. So, and I, I mean, and I think what you said about the money is a big deal. I mean, what, I mean, Tennessee had an offensive line coach making 800 grand last year. I mean, if you're, if you're making that kind of money as a position coach, how big of a difference is it to make a million or 1.1 million as a, as a coordinator? I mean, it's not the same as, you know, even 10 years ago when you had position coaches making two and $300,000. I mean, that guy's that guy's going to jump to make, you know, eight nine hundred thousand dollars, but it's just not the, the difference is not as dramatic anymore. Well, and I think some coaches, and not every coach, but I think some coaches are worried about just just making a bad misstep, taking a bad job, because how much does it derail their path to 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 their ultimate goal? You know, if that's you know if that's to be a, a head coach or you know to be a coordinator in the NFL or or whatever their path may be. I mean. You take a misstep there, it could set you back in that career goal for a long period of time. And so how attractive is Tennessee right now, which kind of is what Austin was talking about. And look at, I mean, look, no better example than Kevin Steele. I mean, he killed his head coaching career by, by just jumping at a job that was available because he wanted to be a head coach so bad. I mean, anytime his name has come up in the decade since, his record at Baylor immediately gets thrown up, even though that was, I mean, that was a terrible job. Yeah, routine and, – and- you know, I, I, I'm sure you guys will agree with this. If he had not taken the Baylor job, he likely ends up with a much better job several years later and probably has a much greater chance of success and much more of a greater chance of sustainability as a head coach. And, and so to Rob's point, like, you know, you take the wrong thing and it can really derail you. And they, I, I hear that from high school coaches, I hear from college coaches, you know, I don't think they would just take anything. Like I had a lot of conversations with Derek Ansley when he was here. He wants to be a head coach, but he wouldn't just take anything because he knows that, you know, you may only get one chance, you know? Yeah. And, and again, I think when you factor in the money that then that changes things, that's why, you know, in the basket, in the basketball front, Rob, mid-major guys don't jump like they once to once used to, you know, I mean, it used to be if you had a mid-major job, you know, and, and a and a high major called you, you were taking that high major job because the money difference was so great at that point. But in basketball, the mid major jobs are paying so much more money now that it's not an automatic that a guy takes a power five job. You know, he's going to be more selective. And I think you have that in in the college football instance, whether you're talking about taking a coordinator taking a head coaching job or a head coach making a move or a position coach taking, you know, even a coordinator job. I, I just think people are more selective than, than ever before. Yeah, I mean, I think the volatility is, is the reason why. I mean, everybody knows you go somewhere, you're not getting five years. Yeah, you're still turning it around yeah. anymore. I mean, you're getting more if you're lucky. 
and if you're showing progress. Yep, you're exactly right. So uh, if, if Tennessee goes and, and it is, they, they get home, if you will, Austin, with Washington and looking at some ties there, you know, and you mentioned this in the chat on Monday night, he and Washington and Willie Martinez were together at Cincinnati. That would make some sense because of Hypo's comfort level with Willie Martinez. Willie Martinez experience in the SEC and experience as a coach to help a young coach marry the back end and the front end together. I mean, we talked about that when Washington's name surfaced over the weekend. It just would make sense. I'm not saying it's a done deal, but am I missing something there? Because that one seems pretty logical to me or, or well, it seemed to make you, a lot of sense. You start connecting the dots. You start connecting the dots. And, and you know, that one, you know, connects pretty easily. And then, you know, from both sides, from both, you know, Coach Heupel, who, you know, he, he was just with and was with at Oklahoma once upon a time. And then, you know, was with Coach Washington at Cincinnati for a year. The one thing I know about William Martinez is he plays well with others. And I said that in the chat and, you know, not every coach plays well with others, but coach Martinez does. And he has well-respected out there in the coaching community. So that one just makes some sense. Um, one guy that coach Martinez, you know, played with and played well with, you know, or didn't play with in college, but played well with as an assistant coach um, would be, you know, Rodney Garner Brandt, who, um, you know, I think continues to make the most, logical sense just because of his sec ties and everything he can give you whether it just be you know just validating the staff you know seeing a guy like rodney Gardner on it uh giving you that reputation as a recruiter and as a position coach uh to me it, that one just makes the most sense out of any of them and if, if it's him and martinez you suddenly have a defensive staff with a lot of sec experiences and, and ties and places where Tennessee has to go get players. Yeah, no, no doubt with the Georgia ties there. And you've got two veteran guys who could help a young coordinator grow. Yeah. I mean, because here, here's the thing. Here's the thing you know about Rodney Garner. Rodney Garner's done this job. I mean, he's been in college football for three decades. And, and I don't think Rodney Garner has ever – or he doesn't have aspirations to be a defensive coordinator or a head coach. You know, I mean, I think he, I think he likes to recruit. I think he likes to coach position groups. And I think he's very comfortable with that. I don't think Willie Martinez at this point in his career, Rob, is, is looking to be, you know, a D.C. somewhere. He's done, he's done that. I mean, I think he's kind of comfortable where he is in his career. So you could have someone, those two guys could help a Washington if it's him. And there's not this looking over your shoulder. Is this guy, you know, you know, is this guy cutting me? Is this guy doing something to me? I mean, it would seem like it would make some sense and could potentially work that way because of the way the dots connect. Yeah. I, know, I mean, Tennessee fans probably are all fired up about Willie Martinez talk, but I mean, I thought he did a good job here. I mean, he's covered with a little Butch Jones slime, but his career is, you know, what goes way beyond that, way beyond that. And he, in, in dealing with him here, just being around him when he was here, he would definitely give you a grown up in the room, a, a voice that would be respected. Justin Coleman, Emmanuel Mosley, Cam Sutton. Three, three pretty good guys that three, are making money. Three, three, three stars are below. Yeah, that are making money in the National Football League that Willie Martinez was a part of recruiting and a part of coaching and developing while, while he was here. Um, so, I mean, you know, that, I mean, that guy's got a lot of experience, you know, um, in, in his time <laughs> as a coach. So, we'll see. Those are certainly um, – 
there are three possibilities there. You connect the dots. Nobody, uh, Austin, not guaranteeing or predicting anything because anything could happen in this deal. Well, it, uh, if, sure. if, 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 Let's just play hypotheticals here. If that was who you hired on defense, um, I would think because I think that Washington would would coach linebackers um, as well. Uh, you know, do you do you kind of split it and hire an outside linebackers coach? Uh, if you did that, then you know um, the coach that was with uh, Josh Heupel at UCF, who was a special teams coordinator, uh, Toth, I believe is how you pronounce it. Um, that would make some sense because he's got some history of coaching some linebackers and being a special teams guy. That would leave you uh, two spots left. One would be the running backs, and then but potentially maybe you know going with the safeties. If if, if Willie's coaching corners, you know maybe they hire a safeties coach. Or Willie could coach um, safeties, so and you I, could hire a corners coach. You could go. Yeah, either one, yeah. either one. Yeah. So you know, the, the, it just gives you some flexibility because yeah. I mean I think the offensive staff outside the running backs coach is set. Yeah, it certainly seems that way. I mean, with, with Cody Burns and, and with Ellerby and um, with um, – is it, is it Goslich? Is that how you pronounce Gosich. it? Gosich. Goldish. Um, Goldish. Goldish. Okay. And then, obviously, the, the quarterback's coach as well. Again, not saying any – I mean, nothing, nothing is done uh, on the defensive side of the ball, but we'll see what happens to, today and tomorrow if, if anything can get done with that. Um, and, and those are some of the, some of the names and why – I wanted to have this discussion because I wanted to explain to everybody kind of why those names were being tossed about because there's some, there's some dots that naturally connect there with some relationships that people have. If that's where Tennessee ends up on the defensive coordinator spot with, with Washington there. Um, and we'll see, I mean, it, it, you know, certainly Monday afternoon, Austin, it was trending the opposite direction. Didn't feel like it was going to happen. And then Tennessee circles back around. So we'll see if they can get home and, and get that done. Uh, from that standpoint as as for the current team and I'll say this for 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 coach Heupel I, I and I'm not saying this just because there's been videos out there of dodgeball games or or whatever I think that he has certainly um, made it a very made it made a very conscious effort to try to do some interactive things with 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 players Rob besides just having team meetings besides putting everybody in a chair in a meeting room, socially distanced, and you're having a, you know, a speech to them, if you will. I mean, he's been, they did the Super Bowl deal where they watched it in the stadium. He's been at workouts. They have played the dodgeball thing. I mean, he's taken the message of kind of connecting with each other beyond just standing in, in front of them in a meeting room and talking. And I think that's something that's resonated pretty early and pretty quickly with this team. Doesn't mean it's all perfect. Everybody's all happy and holding hands and singing Kumbaya. And nobody's looking to leave or anything like that. I'm not saying any of that, but I do think it's been um, something that's been welcomed uh, by, by, by this team. And, and I think that's been a smart move by coach Heupel since he arrived at Tennessee. Yeah, I, I would agree. I mean, not in the building, so I don't know what's going on. But I just – I mean, seeing, you know, where Jeremy came from, you know, how he grew up in the coach profession, I mean, why would you not try to emulate Nick Saban and, and be a, a teacher, be you know, be a, a stern professor, you know, have meetings and, and, and all that kind of thing. But um, I think Heupel has a different style. I mean, it feels like early. I mean, we're going to find out more, obviously, as we go along. But, I mean, I think that kind of stuff is important. I don't – you know, I'm not one of these people that's making fun of the dodgeball video. I think it's cool that, uh, you know, he's being creative and trying to build bridges with a 
a roster that just has no connection to him. I mean, I think that's crucial. I think you can you can do that. I think it's a lot easier to do that with some fun and game stuff than it is standing in front of a meeting room with 125 kids, you know, in a theater style seating situation. If you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball. Um, <laughs> it's easier to do too because the, the the situation with the with COVID is getting better. Whereas you did not have the opportunity over the course of the summer well, to, to interact. So, I mean, it's, it's, you know, Jeremy Pruden and staff didn't and have I the think opportunity too, to do that stuff. And I think too, when back, not to the, the, you know, there's no really, it's not a defense of the last staff. Cause I mean, like, I don't think that they did anything wrong. I, I think that like back then, you know, keeping them separated was, you know, what was everybody was told to do. But now that they went through a whole season together and they're around each other constantly and they're all getting tested again. And I mean, like, why would you not just try to, you know, to live, you know, I mean, if you, if you can, if you can go and work out in the weight room with each other, why not be able to play dodgeball with one another? And, and, and to a man, I've talked to too many people over there that talked about, you know, how kind of, you know, crappy and, and just no camaraderie and chemistry they had last year because of the fact that everybody just kind of retreated to their rooms after workouts or after, um, you know, after games or practices. So, you know, I think this is a smart move to, to get them together as much as he can. And it's a good, you know, Hey, get to know us, you know, for, for coach Heupel, for coach Halsley, for coach Golish, Ellerby and Cody Burns, the ones that are currently in the building over there. Now the defensive guys want to know who they got, you know, and and sure I and, and I think it's that's why getting the defensive side of the ball, or at least most most of the defensive side of the ball, done um, in the next forty eight hours, if they can, is is imperative and is important because I think these guys are these defensive guys are they're ready to find an answer to their question of hey, who's going to be my coach? What style are we going to play? What are we going to do? This, that, and the other. So. I do think that is important, you know, certainly moving forward for uh, for this coaching staff and for and for Josh Heupel to, to get done uh, as quick as they can. Um, let, let's hop to recruiting right quick. I, I know it's pretty slow out there, Austin, but there has been there has been plenty of, you know, attempts in state, right, to, you know, to, to talk to guys, certainly Ty Simpson. Any chance he delays? his decision or do you think it's he's still on on track to do what he was going to do I, I think that he's on track I, i'm not going to say that it it, it it's 100 percent a go but i do think that that's probably 90 you know um and again i don't think he's closed the door on tennessee at all um you know ty is very calculated in what he does um so i think you know he's but I think he also knows how to read the room. I think his parents know how to read the room. I would be shocked if they're retweeting pro Tennessee tweets like Ty did on Sunday and Tennessee didn't have a shot. I think this kid is very, very torn still. Um, I think he goes back and forth. And I, I, you know, I think that, you know, any of the three Alabama, Clemson and Tennessee makes sense in his head. And then also there's reservations in his head. So I continue to go back and I've said this on the board, you know, and I, I just think this is a head versus heart thing. I think the head tells Ty Simpson Tennessee makes no sense at all, and the other two make total sense. But the heart wants what the heart wants, and I think that the heart's always wanted Tennessee, which is why he's been here the most out of any of the other schools, which is why through the coaching change and everything else, 
he may have been affected by it, but, you know, he continues to come back around to Tennessee as being a viable option for him. So um, we'll see. Um, but, you know, credit Josh Heupel for coming in and, and making Ty a priority and literally, you know, hitting that kid up every day. And he's talking to the family. He's talking to Ty. And he's doing everything possible to give Tennessee a chance on the 19th. And we'll see. You know, I don't think – never said that kid's for sure coming here. Um, but, but I do know that he loves Tennessee and Knoxville a ton. So, you know, I think that, you know, he's trying to give Tennessee every benefit of the doubt till the end. Elsewhere in recruiting, Addison Nichols, story we'll have up a little bit later today. Tennessee's trying to make some, make some inroads there. That's a guy that's got some Tennessee ties. That's probably a pretty good reach, pretty good decision by Tennessee to reach out to that one early in this process. It, as and we talked about this a little bit in the mailbag podcast. Part of this has just been getting organized in recruiting because the recruiting office was gutted. And there was a lot of gutted. what, what, you know, who, what, who have we when, offered, where, who have we right? not offered, you know, all that. You know, who has it, a tie, who doesn't have a tie. Yeah. And, uh, and then there is tie. Um, um, but yeah, you know, for, for Addison Nichols, you know, that kid's been, you know, long leaning to Tennessee. Um, you know, told me on, on Monday night, you know, he probably slowed down his process a little more than he, you know, had envisioned because of COVID and coaching changes and stuff. But, you know, Tennessee's still very much in the mix there. He's, you know, had now had multiple phone conversations with, with Glenn Ellerby, Tennessee's offensive line coach. He's talked to Coach Golish and he talked to Coach Heibel, um, that on Sunday, on Super Bowl Sunday. So, um, I think Tennessee is very much in play there still. Um, I just think that he's probably slowed the pacing of his recruitment just a little bit, just to kind of, you know, continue to build relationships and see where things go. And, and Tennessee will continue to reach out throughout the state of Tennessee on those 22s, and, and that will obviously be a priority. You'll see Tennessee a lot more active, I think, Austin, once the staff is in place, you know, hopefully later this week. I think you'll see Tennessee – a lot more talk about Tennessee on social media and everything else once it's a full go type deal. Uh, because yeah, I, I agree. I, I think Tennessee will hit it pretty quick and pretty hard. Yeah, I mean, they've been very reserved in how they've recruited. Like, they've not been full bore. Again, they've got only a staff of a few, and then some of those guys have, you know, not been able to recruit yet, you know, for whatever reason. So, um, you know, I, I do think that once the staff is fully intact and announced, then, yes, it will be more of a – go, 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 go uh, on the recruiting trail. Yep, got to get everybody signed and get everything all squared away and all that kind of stuff, which is obviously something that Tennessee hopes to have done this week. All right, let's talk a little Tennessee basketball here on this Tuesday podcast. Um, Rick Barnes says he's wanted to play fast all year long. He's wanted guys to take it to the hole all year long. His two freshmen did that at Kentucky, Rob Lewis, I asked this question after the Kansas game, and you gave me a wait-and-see answer, which was accurate. Do we see a different Tennessee offense the rest of the way here? Is, is, or are we seeing an evolution of the offense after what we saw in, against Kentucky? I mean, I would, I would think it was a no-brainer. But I asked Rick essentially that very question today to kick off his press conference, and he was like, no. I mean, we're not – you know, I'm not that – you know, he doesn't want Keon and, and Jaden to, to do that, you know, to play that way every game, but it's not like he's going to hit pause and, you know, throw out the playbook and completely start playing a different way. Um, I don't, 
I mean, again, I think you'll definitely see it, see them emphasize, see them try to, you know, create more opportunities for them. But I just don't see how you leave that game Saturday and not think, man, these kids need to get 30 shots combined every game. I mean, they, they had 33 of Tennessee's 68 field goal tips. And it was, you know, the most fun watching a Tennessee game I, I imagine fans had all season long, the, the way they played. Well, they combined for 50 points and made one three-pointer, which is one of the more crazier stats than you'll see. When you have two guys combined for that, you typically think somebody's, you know, made four or five threes or something like that, That that you know um, – but they combined for 50 points. I, I, I'm not saying to you, and I don't think you are either. Nobody's suggesting to Rick Barnes that you abandon, you know, the post and all of a sudden you're playing isolation game with those two and you're turning it into one-on-one, you know, hooping or whatever. But I, I just think that, that this team to be effective offensively is beyond the notion of the ball's got to go through Fulkerson in the half court. Yeah, but I don't know. I don't know how you watch that. Saturday yeah. night and come away with that conclusion. And as I, I wrote on Monday in the three, two, one, I think if you put the ball in those kids' hands more often and, you know, encourage them, empower them to be aggressive, to, to try and make something happen. I think it makes it easier. I think it makes life easier for Fulkerson because right now, I mean, he's got, he's got to create pretty much all his, his own offense. You know, they're, they're dumping it. He's got to carve out space, you know, and it, Six nine, two hundred and five pounds. That ain't easy in the SEC. And, or he's got to catch it, you know, fifteen feet out on the floor and try to make a quick move to get by his guy. I mean, I, I think with the way that I mean, Keon especially, but, but Jaden also was getting into the paint the other night. It creates all kinds of opportunities for other guys, whether it's you know, drive, draw and dish, or bringing help defense and create opening up past the off, easy offensive rebounds and put putbacks. I just, I mean that. That was that was a, the best Tennessee has looked by far, I think. On Saturday, and, and Keon, I, I I didn't see it coming. I mean, I, I mean, I'm I'm not surprised Keon can play that way at all. I think he's hugely talented, but the way he flipped the switch as far as being assertive, like he was. I mean, he hadn't he hadn't taken he'd taken more than ten shots three times all year long. He takes sixteen against Kentucky, and that doesn't even tell the whole story because he got to the free throw line eleven times. So that's, you know, five or six more shot attempts that were going up if he didn't get fouled. And I thought that really, you know, for a guard to get 11 free throw attempts in a game and it's not a result of the other team, you know, fouling a bunch under two minutes left, that, that tells you a lot about how the kids play and where he's getting, how much pressure he's putting on the defense. See, I just think that, you know, that's, that we, I said this when we taped the locker room Sunday night, I just think, you know, my old Batman Robin – I think Fulkerson, I know he scored 27 at Rupp last year and closed it pretty strong. I just think he's way more comfortable as Robin than he is Batman. I, I totally and, agree. And, I, I, and Des Oliver, I was going to say Des Oliver last Thursday when he met with the media, you know, not he, he didn't use the Batman and Robin term, but he, I thought he gave a pretty good breakdown of. I've got licensing people, on that, Rob. <laughs> people, you know, people want to point to, you know, why can't Folky be the man? He was the man last year, you know, et cetera. And Coach Oliver, I, I thought, made a, made a nice point that, you know, it's different being the man for a team that's at best on the NCAA bubble, probably an NIT team, as opposed to a team that was picked to win the SEC in the preseason, was a top 10 team, was, you know, a team that at the start of January, people were talking about being a Final Four team. The, you know, the pressures of those two situations are a lot different. 
Rob, do you, this is going to be crazy, and, and, and this I'm just throwing a theory out there, I guess, a little bit. You, I'm sure there's no answer to this. It, it almost feels like that Keon Johnson got mad in, with about five minutes to go in the old Miss game. Yeah, I, I agree. Because he just dropped his head and started going to the rim. Now, he didn't make a free throw. Obviously, he had a huge miss that would have sent that game into overtime. But, but it's almost like he just said, you know what, I'm just going to go, and, and let's just let, – let, I'm just going to attack the rim – and then he carried that over with great success against Kentucky. I mean, everybody's going to talk about the Kentucky game, but for me, it feels like the light may have switched for him, you know, the last four or five minutes of the Ole Miss game. I totally agree. I mean, you could see it. I mean, he, he like you said, he put his head down. He got he got to the, got in the lane, got to the line, got a huge offensive rebound that was just, you know, sheer effort. I mean, it looked like a kid playing mad that didn't want to lose. And um, also – you know, I think that there was some carryover from that. And also last week, he, had, he and Rick had just a one-on-one film session where the video guys made a bunch of cutouts. And Rick showed Keon dozens of times this year where he had the opportunity to put the ball on the floor and be aggressive. And, and he, had, he had turned that down. I think that made, made a big impression. Well, we'll find out if this Tennessee basketball team can carry it over into this week as the schedule change has Tennessee hosting Georgia on Wednesday night. Not the biggest Georgia team. Uh, a Georgia team that got off to a great start, and they were very slow coming out of the SEC gates, but they seem to have found themselves a little bit in league play. So we'll see how Tennessee can handle a Georgia team that seems to want to play as fast as Tennessee would like to play, Rob. I mean, they're, they're yeah, I mean, they're going to play. And, and I'm going to be interested to see how Tennessee handles it because – Georgia essentially plays four guards, um, don't have a starter bigger than 6'8". And those kind of lineups have given Tennessee problems. I mean, he certainly did against Alabama, Ole Miss, same way. Um, and, again, go, going back to Coach Oliver's media session last week, I mean, he kind of admitted that they, they have had problems with smaller, quicker teams. And even though Tennessee doesn't have great size, he feels like they maybe match up better against a Kentucky that is going to play two traditional bigs. But – I, I personally, I mean, I, I like it when Tennessee goes small. I mean, I think if Rick doesn't try to force force it and, and keep Pons and Fulkerson both on the floor together, and he, when he does go small, um, anything to get Springer Johnson more minutes, I, I, I'm in favor of if I'm, if I'm a Tennessee fan. Well, certainly um, had their moments with that small lineup in Rupp Arena uh, against, you know, quote, a bigger you, team. So we'll we, haven't, we haven't mentioned it, but what really makes that small lineup feasible, whether you're playing with Fulkerson or Ponds, whoever, is just Sia James. I mean, if, he's he's a, a, if you're going to get 10 rebounds, then size is suddenly not as big of an issue. Yeah. I mean, he's, he, needs, he needs a shout-out for the work he got done, not just on the – in the last folks, we just killed Tennessee, and and Josiah took him out. He didn't score in the last eight minutes of the game, and he he kind of is the grease that, that can make that that engine go. We're playing with four guards. Big game, big game from him. Yep, we'll see how Tennessee. I, mean, I, keep, I continue to say he's the glue. I mean, he's the most important player to Tennessee because again, he might need score you nineteen. He may get you ten rebounds. He may get you ten assists, and 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 all of that plays. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't have to score the basketball to impact the game. No, you're exactly right. He he doesn't. He's got to rebound it on a consistent basis, um, and he can't turn the basketball over when he gets in troubles. When he turns the basketball over, um, but yeah, I, I don't disagree with that. I mean, I, I think he is an important piece for Tennessee's puzzle because if you go look when he's played well for 40 minutes, Tennessee's been Tennessee's been good. He's no. Tennessee's leading rebounder. 
which is great for him, but also tells you what what a, what, what a Tennessee's biggest problems is. is yeah. You know, you got a six six guard that is leading your team in rebound in SEC play. Yeah, that's exactly right. They may have to play small lineup with him on on Wednesday night, just from a matchup standpoint. So we'll see how Coach Barnes and and how the staff plays it, how the how the freshmen uh, carry over after a huge game that they had in Rupp Arena and the particularly the second half where they erased a double-digit deficit to take care of the Wildcats on Saturday. It's Georgia on Wednesday. We'll have full coverage of that, continued coverage of recruiting, continued coverage of Josh Heupel's assembly of his first-ever coaching staff at the University of Tennessee. That's going to do it for this edition of the Blue Water Climate Control VolQuest.com podcast. For Rob Lewis and Austin Price, I'm Brent Hubbs. Thanks for joining us. Have a great Tuesday, everybody.